0: I have children for you, and I've known them before the foundation of the world. You don't know who you're going to dance with, but you know you're going to dance.
1: God just doesn't want to be with me in all the good moments. He wants to be there when I'm in my car, after work, crying. God
0: has woven a tapestry in us and has taught us so much in these past years.
1: This is Westside Stories. Today, Atlanta West Side's senior pastor, Walter Hineker, and Director of Spiritual Formation, Ann Hinegar, sit down with Glenn Jackson to discuss his father. It's a very powerful story, but a quick word of warning, we are specifically discussing the death of a parent. Glenn and his wife, Claire, have been members at Atlanta Westside since 2015. Glenn is a founding principal at Jackson Spaulding, a marketing and communications agency based out of Atlanta, Georgia. If you're ready, let's get started.
0: I'm Walter Henniger and I'm joined here today by
1: Ann Henniger
0: and also our friend Glenn Jackson. And we could ask Glenn a lot about his life today and his career. Glenn and his wife Claire have been members of the church for a number of years, but today we want to talk more about how Glenn has been formed as a man through important people in in his life. So, Who's somebody that's been an important influence in your life, can you tell us about him? Well, without question, it's my father,
2: Walter. Um, My dad uh, was a remarkable man. Um, He passed away when he was 60, I was just 19. And uh, in those 19 years, he he just shaped me so much in so many ways. Um, He was loving and kind. Uh, My mother could do no wrong. When it, when it came to uh, Dot Jackson, Dot Jackson, Jackson did no wrong, and um, um, I loved being with him every single day. He taught me a ton about uh, the Lord. He taught me a lot about having to uh, deal with adversity, too.
0: Tell us about some of his story. Where did he start out in life, and how did he get to where he became your dad? Well, dad grew up in Columbus, Georgia,
2: and um, he uh, was an only child and um, graduated from Columbus High School, and then went on to Emory University, where he was a journalism major. And he made a big decision when he was a junior in 1943 to do something else. What was that? He decided to to join the United States Army, like a lot of men did after Pearl Harbor. And he and 17 buddies uh, joined the armed services, and Dad trained in Kentucky, uh, Fort Knox, as a tank driver, and he was with the 70th Tank Battalion which uh, was an elite tank battalion. Their motto was strike swiftly and they struck swiftly in Africa, Italy, but their biggest battle was to come. How old was he when he signed up? He was 20. 20 years old. 20.
1: What was that battle? D-Day.
2: June 6, 1944, U.S., British, and Canadian troops landing on the beaches of France to liberate Western Europe 160,000 troops landed that day with 7,000 vessels stationed along the English Channel. And my dad was uh, the first tank division to land on Utah Beach, one of five landing zones. Did he ever talk about what that was like? Barely, Uh, a little bit. Uh, But I have done some research, so I know what happened. He successfully landed that day, but three days later uh, in the hedgerows of France His tank was hit by an 88-millimeter artillery shell, and he was the only one to survive. He was wounded in his head, shoulders, and arms,
0: and legs, and was captured. What happened in those days when you got captured in Europe in the middle of World War II? You know what they did? They operated on him
2: because they wanted information. So they operated on him, and then they put him in a cattle car with other POWs, after marching through France, and they sent him to Stalag 7A, which was a prison camp north of Munich, Germany. And he would be there for 11 months. And you do know a good bit about what that was like, right? Can you tell us what you learned? I do. Uh, Dad escaped after six months and was recaptured. Uh, He escaped during a bomb raid. Um, And uh, the SS went on to search for him and another U.S. uh, buddy of his, and they found him three days later, hiding in a barn. Um, there was not much food, there was a lot of boredom, but one of the silver linings to their being alone is that the YMCA put in the food packets f- for these guys' journals. And many uh, POWs, like my dad, use those journals to write in them, uh, paint in them, uh, spend time together sharing what they have drawn and it was a real sense of esprit de corps among the POWs to have these journals and I have
0: his now. What do you think it communicates about your dad's personality and his character? What do you see coming through those pages when you look back through it?
2: He loved his family. He wrote a lot about his family and he loved our country deeply and um, dad was determined to get out. I sensed a lot of resiliency there. In his letters, which I have, um, there is uh, tremendous determination to make it. He knew it was, he knew he would be there a long time, but he was not going to give up. He was going to endure.
1: What was something surprising that you found in the journal?
2: They had a Bible study, and their letters in the diary from guys once they got out saying, "I'm praying for you still, I had, Bill, how you doing?" Some of his buddies were all over the world, Russians. Australians, New Zealanders, it was, it's just a beautiful encapsulation of, I think, the greatest generation. If you've seen Saving Private Ryan and Band of Brothers, you, you know a little bit about what went on. And Dad did not like the word the greatest generation. He felt like all troops who served our country were great.
1: What happened after that?
2: You know, Emory was all male, Anne, back then. I didn't know that. So he decided to go to the University of Georgia because there were women there. (laughs) (laughs) He said, I'm tired of looking at guys for four years. (laughs) And he met my mom there. And uh, my mom was from Albany, Georgia, and he proposed to her uh, right out of school. So that's what happened. And then he worked for Southern Bell for 35 years. Had a great career. And you were born uh, siblings? Two Two,
0: older brothers. Mm -hmm. I'm the youngest. Mm -hmm. Dad was 41 when I was born. And you're... You ended up going into the same field in which he worked in communications. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. What is it about the, the field that, that you think is a shared passion between you and your father? Something you. Writing. Yeah.
2: I remember working on his Royal Typewriter late at night uh, here, in, here in those skis. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I lost dad when I was 19. So we never talked about my career in his industry.
0: Can you tell us about that? How, how he died?
2: My dad died in August of 1983, and uh, I was there when he passed away. Um, uh, Unbeknownst to us, dad was really struggling with a lot of PTSD. He was really dealing with it. And he got no help, unfortunately. And uh, one morning he got up and took his life, and um, uh, we lost him. And I wish I could have helped him, but I just didn't know how deep the suffering
0: was. And he didn't really let on much in a way that you could have seen before that? No, yeah. no. I think that strike swiftly, ironically,
2: mm. which was part of the tank battalion motto and ethos, um, was something he believed in. And that's what happened that morning.
0: And his best friend found him. And your older brothers, I guess, were already out of the home. They were. You were in I was college there. at the time. Yeah.
2: I was living... Uh, uh, at home, about to start my junior year at Washington Lee University. I had to leave there three weeks later to start my junior year, Mm -hmm. and um, it was tough saying goodbye to my mom after that. But she wanted me to finish school, and I was determined to do that. You know, I remember going back to Lexington and deciding, you know, I could either go crazy or I could lean into my relationship with Christ more deeply, and I chose the latter.
1: How did you feel immediately after that? I mean, obviously, you're wrestling about going back to college, but how did that impact you?
2: It was awful. And I took off everything I had on that day, and I threw it in the garbage can because I didn't want to be reminded of that clothing. But what happened was that garbage can followed me around for years because I never opened up, and looked at
0: those clothes for years. And I finally decided to do that. And that's where the healing began. Was there a, a catalyst for deciding that you really needed to, to go and look in those places? There was. My brother called me, Clay,
2: who went to the University of Virginia and then Emory Business School, and he asked me to have lunch. And it was 10 years after my dad had died, and he said one thing. He asked me a question. He, he asked me, how are you doing? I shared a lot and then I got some help and part of my healing process was uh, we decided to go to Normandy as a family and um, that was a really special trip. We went um, as a family and um, took the train from Paris to Normandy and it was kind of a cloudy, gray day, misty day, about 45 degrees and we, um... We ended up going to my dad's landing zone area and, and rode in the sand. Ed Jackson was here June 6, 1944, and put a big heart around it. And uh, we prayed around that, that heart. Uh, we had a guide, Francois, who was just fantastic, and he, he located where my dad's tank was hit. And uh, that was healing for me to be in that actual area and um, reflect on some things that I needed to think about and to begin really the healing process for the first time
0: how did it affect your your kids at the time what, what age were they when you went to they were
2: uh eight six and twelve and i believe that they met their grandfather for the first time on the beaches of those canonized grounds right there and i really felt dad's presence there and i wrote about it uh on the way home from paris and it was kind of a stream of consciousness piece of writing. And um, I finished it when we landed in Atlanta. And I'm happy to share a little bit of it if you'd like yes. me to. We'd, We'd like do. you to. Yeah,
1: please do.
2: While on Utah Beach with the family, Claire, my wife, had a beautiful thought. She said, Let's right in the sand. Ed Jackson was here June 6, 1944. So we found a stick in Virginia, our oldest daughter, wrote the words on the beach. We put a heart over the 1944 date. It was afternoon, and now in between tides. We had the beach to ourselves, so we thought. Out from the dunes a mile away, a man appeared with a horse while sitting in an attached buggy. Whip in hand, he and the horse headed straight towards us. In a split second, the horse and the buggy, at full stride, went directly over the words we had scrolled in the sand. Yet the message remained intact, just a slight smudge from the buggy wheel over the June 1944 date. It happened so quickly, the horse, the man, and the sounds of the galloping feet, the breath of the beast. There was something freeing about it all. The scene symbolized life at its fullest and best, punctuating vividly the message we had written to dead in the sand. God speaks to us in uncanny experiences, a message conveyed by a person, a symbol, a passage of writing, or a seemingly whimsical event like a horse and buggy. In these experiences, God's invisibility becomes visible. Upon reflection, I believe Dad was speaking to us on the beach. The voice I heard said, Son, I'm okay. Life goes on. Move forward, Glenn. Cherish family. Don't look back forever. Step into your pain to experience gain. The best is yet to come. As I walked back to the car, my feet heavy and heart soft, I placed some sand from Utah Beach in a sealed cup for my brothers. Francois told us the area between the dunes where I received the sand was specifically cut out for the tanks that landed on June 6th. Before leaving the spot, I gave Utah Beach one more precious look. The sun was now peeking through the clouds for the first time. We all had the same realization. Dad was here. Dad
0: is here. Thank you for sharing it. And I know other people listening may have had similar losses of really important people in their lives, Um, maybe even that, that particular pain of, of losing someone who, who took their own life. And I wonder what, what kind of advice you would give to someone wrestling through pain that they don't even, like like back when you were 19 years old and you just threw those clothes in the garbage can and didn't want to deal with it. What, what would you say to your 19, 20-year-old self now, if you could, about how to, how to approach that? My dad kept secrets. He didn't share what he went through.
2: And actually, in retrospect, I was keeping secrets too. And secrets are deadly. If you're keeping a secret, find someone you love and trust and share it with them. Tell them what you're going through, um, because that's part of the healing process. And I needed to step into my pain to receive gain of you know, Helen Keller, whom I really respect and treasure, said that although the world is full of suffering, it is also full of the overcoming of it, and let's be overcomers, and I think that can only be done, only be done, through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ.
0: Hmm. Knowing Jesus as the the man of sorrows, as one acquainted with grief, has that helped you to be able to embrace, even decades later, the the reality that even with all the healing, it still hurts, right? It does. Yeah. There's intimacy with the Lord
2: because of the suffering, I think, we go through, and it makes our relationship deeper and more meaningful. And it was not until um, when I decided to turn more to, to the Lord when I was heading back to school that He truly became for me my heavenly Father. He became a good, good Father. And I realized then that His love for me is unending and unfailing and that he wants the best for me and that he's going to help me get through all of this and that gave me a great sense of peace and I went up the first day I went up to my house up in the mountains in Virginia to um, unpack my stuff I was living with four guys and they all left that evening to go down the road as they said back then to Hollins College to see some uh, girls that they were dating and I was by myself in the house And it was the first time I'd been alone. And I saw the lights of the car leave, and then I saw them turn around and head back up the hill. And my best friend got out of the car, and he walked in, and he said, I can't leave you alone in here. Let's put your bed together. And we had a couple of beers and did that. And um, every time I see him, I, I just remember that. So even at 19 or 20, you can do some amazing things to, to help in the healing process, and Bill Maynard did that for me. I love
1: that. I love that Clay sought you out to be
2: yeah, your brother.
0: He like... did. He knew. So, Glenn, you mentioned your dad grew up in Columbus. Did you, did you ever go back and learn more about his growing up there? I am so
2: glad you asked that because as part of my healing process, I realized I needed to go back. And I did about 20 years ago on my dad's would-be 85th birthday. I was at Callaway Gardens meeting with a client, and I was heading back to Atlanta. And I had my dad's diary for some crazy reason in the car, and I felt this kind of the Holy Spirit saying, "Go to Columbus and see where your dad grew up." So I drove there, and I drove to the house where he grew up. And I got out and was looking at it, and a lady who was who was sitting there on in the porch area yelled out to me, "Can I help you?" And I said, I'm just looking at this house, this is where my dad grew up. And she said, who was he? And I said, Ed Jackson. She said, the POW? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. She said, hold up. So she came out and we talked for a minute. She said, you want a tour? Come on in. She took me inside, the smells, the sounds of those floors again, just the creaks and the, the wind going through the windows. It just felt like I was back. And at the end of the tour, I thanked her And I said, I want to show you something. So I went out to my car and pulled the diary out and pulled out a letter. There were like 40 to that exact same address. And I said, can you do me a favor? This would be my dad's 85th birthday. Can you frame this in the foyer to honor him? And she teared up. She said, absolutely. So I gave her one of these letters and um, they framed it in the foyer of that house, which is just great. And
0: this is a letter that, Was written to your dad? Letter that my dad wrote to his mother while he was a POW. Mm
1: -hmm. You mentioned loving your dad so much. He's one of your heroes. What's the life lesson that he taught you?
2: You know, he treasured people more than possessions. And I believe that that's so important in life. It's relationships that matter more than anything. And I watched him do that a ton. So treasure people more than possessions. That is something I learned um,
0: beautifully from my father. And anyone who spent five minutes around you knows that that's who you are now, and that is instinctive and internal to who you are. Thank you for saying that. And it, it raises one more question for me, which is how the way he was a father to you has shaped the way you are a father to your three children. I want them to see
2: um, how to love someone through my loving of Claire. And, And they're watching me with that, just like I was watching my dad love my mom so beautifully. And a final thing, too, is that it's okay to be vulnerable. God's favorite color is transparency. So talking about this with my children hopefully teaches them not to be afraid to talk about tough stuff that they've
0: been through or are going through. Yeah, this has been a gift, Glenn, to see your heart in this part of your story. And we know that it will, it will give to others who listen. So thank you so thank much. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Walter. Thanks, Ann.
1: Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of West Side Stories, and our sincerest thanks to our guest, Glenn Jackson, for sharing about his father. This episode was produced and directed by me, Corey Fleeman. It was co-produced and hosted by Anne and Walter Henniger. Our editor was Tim Lane. Original music was composed and performed also by Tim Lane. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll share it with friends and family. A positive review on your streaming service of choice would also be appreciated. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.